0: Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engines so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things Microcap stocks. From all of us at Planet Microcap, we wish you and your family a peaceful and warm holiday season, and we're looking forward to a prosperous 2024. We truly appreciate your support in 2023 and hopefully see you all in Las Vegas at the Planet Microcap Showcase April 30 through May 2nd, 2024 at the Paris Hotel and Casino. We love this Microcap community and engaging with you all. So for now, enjoy your loved ones and we'll see you in 2024. But speaking of Vegas... The Planet of Microcap Showcase Vegas happening April 30 through May 2nd, 2024 at the Paris Hotel and Casino. As a holiday gift to you, our valued listeners, I'd like to announce our first keynote and speaker, Andrew Walker, host of the Yet Another Value podcast, will be back to host a keynote Q&A with legendary small and microcap investor, Bob Rabadi. This is a conversation you will want to see in person, and there's more announcements to come. But registration is now open. So if you'd like to register, participate, please visit planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. My guests on the show today are fellow microcap legends, Paul Andriola, founder and editor of Small Cap Discoveries, Jason Hirschman from Hudson 215 Capital, and Maj Don, founder and editor of geoinvesting.com. In this conversation, consensus was that microcap stocks in 2023 Boring is sexy again. We spent 90 minutes talking about why, and to be honest, we could have gone another three hours. So much quality back and forth that at one point, I, I just sat back and watched Paul, Jason, and Maj talk. I, I love this whole conversation, and I think you will too. Thank you again for tuning into the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my interview with Paul Andriola, Jason Hirschman, and Maj Don. and look forward to seeing you all in 2024. Maj, Jason, Paul, thank you guys for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Hey, Bobby. Good to see you, Bobby. Happy holidays, Bobby. Awesome. Thank you guys. I like that. Maj, Jason, Paul. I almost felt like I was at like the the last supper table, like the yeah, the micro three, three, three the, 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 the microcap disciples here, you know. Yeah. Uh- okay,
1: given, given what the market was and the microcaps, you know, earlier in 2023, it really was would have been the last supper up until a couple months ago, right? <laughs> oh so. my goodness.
0: That yeah, I mean it it's really felt like over the last two months of podcasting that I've done here, I've been like, I'm feeling something. some I feel a little tingle. I feel like something's changing. There's a, there's a, there's a mist, there's a mist afoot, you know. Uh, I don't want to even ask you where, that tingle, your where you were feeling that tingle. I don't want to know
1: where you were feeling that oh, tingle. Exactly. It, was in, it, was in
0: my, it was mostly in my wallet, you know, actually. <laughs> yeah, <really? That's- laughs> I think hopefully for most people's wallet but uh, you know, I, 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 I gathered you all here today to do our annual, you know, just a year that was 2023. It's been kind of, it's been kind of just nuts to say the least. And, every realm of uh, culture and not just in finance, you know, and, uh, you know, I figured we reflect on just specifically small micro caps. So kind of just to start off, you know, just general takeaways of 2023, you know, how was that experience for you? What were you focused on? And then we'll go from there. So in my screen, I'm going to go, I guess, clockwise. So I got Maj first. Maj, what was uh, 2023 in a nutshell? What was it like for you? GARP, there it is. Here it is, yeah. I, I'm flying <laughs> AI, AI over here.
2: Like, I'm just thinking AI, but she's I'm on the fly because uh, it was hidden. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just um, – what was it like? Well, I had to come – as a, I'm sure some of you guys, Paul and Jason, had the same probably expectation. You know, December 22 was a tough end of the year last year. A lot of – not just annihilated it. Now, you know, you're hoping, okay, that was that was the flush out, whatever, and then you go into 23 – a little bit of balance in, in the names, and then all of a sudden they're pretty, um, at least for me, it was a tough year in some of my stocks and, and a grind. Um, uh, but, um, you know, it was tough because 22 was like that and, ex- and it, we expected it with the rates going higher and stuff and hoping that 23 was going to be a bounce back in some of the names I was in. But but I think, you know, through all the complaining that even I did, you know, and yelling, it's, it's my own fault for being, you know, maybe... Sticking to some of the old names, and um, I'll talk about this later. But I I created like this index back um, maybe about eighteen months ago to kind of start seeing um, you know just taking a whole GARP momentum view. I know Paul loves momentum, you know, buying momentum and seeing how that would work. Momentum plus GARP would work, and that theme um, started working really in two thousand twenty two, um, and you really didn't see it in the indexes. And then moving it, uh, but now now eighteen months later, it's worked incredibly well. And that, so twenty, I think my biggest theme for me, and it's like kind of a, I think I had a tweet. Um, you go look at this tweet I did like last year. It was, I think it was around a, a, October, maybe or maybe September or something. I can't remember about saying like the great head fake, and you know, ba- basically GARP is coming back, and that's the theme really. I'm, and I, I'm just using GARP, whatever kind of value plus growth, whatever you think value investing is to you. But traditional kind of investing principles, you know, they've always been around but are kind of coming back I think with a vengeance in terms of being the leader in the market where it was for the last 15 years it was speculation and, you know, you can grow your revenue and no one cared about as much about earnings and P-E ratios. Um, And I think 23 is that we really saw the culmination of that trend now you don't see it any in, in, i know your index too bobby right you talk about you're next to me you call me and say it's getting crushed once in a while and you have They're and but rushed. you know if you start looking They're at indexes in terms of quality based right and you start putting quality in them you start seeing what it could be and some of the stats for example throughout out and we'll go over them later show that really the theme the, the, the trend i saw and the theme i'm following is that traditional value investing principles matter again and are, are going to lead the market and the returns of this uh, index we can talk about later are proving it out like like enormously better than I even thought it would be. So it's basically we're getting back to getting back to business again, how it used to be. You know, for my first twenty years at least, and it's great to see it. Unfortunately, I didn't make the move into the, any of those stocks, really, <laughs> I was only testing it. <laughs> so, I say uh, all this to say that
0: I did yeah. not take any action whatsoever. You know, it was great
2: to watch. Oh, wait, you I not say, say, say
0: not as I do. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. academic project is going great. <laughs> yeah.
2: Now, of course, I'm going to put the work and they're all going to go down.
0: Because <laughs> okay. rates so, go down again, yeah, because 2024, then the rates go back down again. It's like, oh, the hype is back. Okay, here we go. Like, yeah, what, I think, Fundamentals I don't, I don't be think- dead.
2: I think it's just gonna get stronger and stronger for a i'm just a multi-year bull market multi-years of normal normalcy you know rates are where they should be probably um when i first got started investing i think rates were about seven and a half you know seven and a quarter percent when i bought my first house
0: so this is really cool to see let's get back to normal nor, normal again very cool all right that was a great place to start jason you know, uh, with, for those who are watching on YouTube, it's a very meta performance. He's got his Van Gogh's, uh, what's the name of the painting? <laughs> in the bedroom. It's and the, I think he might bedroom. be also. This is the
1: bedroom. This is the bedroom from uh, 18, I think 1888. That, uh, Van
0: Gogh's bedroom. He painted it in
1: uh, the Arles France, I think. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but there you go. A little bit of culture, oh, cool. along with a little bit of microcaps. But I think yeah, here, it's very here, I
3: thought I thought it was Dr. Seuss. That goes to tell you how, <laughs> how well I know my art. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. But I think I think it's very appropriate because, you know, Jason and I are talking offline. It seems like your 2023 was a year of European travel, European vacation. And by vacation, I mean a European vacation from U.S. microcaps. So I'd love to hear your full 2023
1: take. Yeah, sure. You know, let's just talk a little bit about the overall market. Then I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what I, what I've been doing. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, in, in some ways for any investor, right, you can ask somebody like, how's your, how's your year gone? At the end of the year, you can just total up what, you know, how your stocks have done and either you've made money, or you've lost money and there you go, there's your performance. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, we really don't know how well 2023 has gone as, as an investor uh, until probably 2024, or 2025, when the decisions we've made in 2023 really start to play out right so there's there's always a little bit of a a tension between just looking at performance in a given year and looking at process in a given year right so uh you know one thing that uh, we've done into process wise is that i'm talking about the royal we now right like you know what we uh uh is that i I think ian castle like microcap club is like has noted that so many new microcap club members for example are, are coming from all sorts of places right uh you know there's also not just Canada or English-speaking countries or like the United Kingdom, but you'll see investors or, or uh, doing write-ups about like Polish or Swedish companies, right? So in 2023, uh, you know, we've really been focused on, on Sweden and, you know, in fact, been there a few times. A road trip from like Copenhagen in Denmark to Helsingborg in Sweden, up to Vekwe, to Junkping, to Stockholm, and uh, I think a lot of investors, for example, know like Evolution Gaming, right, for, Or or like compounders like tech, you know, tech Weon. Uh, you know, in Sweden, but there's a lot of interesting small companies, right? Uh, Now, one approach is to go abroad and and look for companies and business models that you're familiar with in, like, your neck of the woods, right? If you're a Canadian, you've probably heard of Constellation Software. You go to, uh, you know, look at Sweden, you say, okay, show me the compounders in in, in Sweden, right? And hopefully you find something that's worth investing. We've taken a little bit of a different approach, uh, which we think is more likely actually to find, like, the next Evolution Gaming, uh, and, and maybe even offers us also like better entry multiples. Uh, so, you know, evolution sort of existed because, broadly speaking, because like Swedish, the Swedish regulatory environment allowed like iGaming and like live dealers to develop there earlier than other countries, right? And and iGaming is, is a uh, sort of a marketplace or a business model that you can really, like there's like first mover advantages. So you combine that first mover advantage, that regulatory environment with a strong management team and you get like evolution gaming. So we're like looking for like companies in Sweden uh, where like products and services are sort of like the leaders in small niches there that can be exported you know, to the United States or to otherwise. Not not like business models that work in the US, maybe they exist in Sweden, but business models that work very well in Sweden that can maybe be exported out, sort of unique businesses. And to some degrees we've 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 found them. So in some ways, 2023 has really been like a process year for us. And I really won't know whether until 24, 25 or 26, whether this has been a good investment in time or not, right? And that's part of the the challenges of of investing, right? Where do you really put your time to get the the maximum return over over a number of years? Uh, But, you know, in terms of just pure numbers, like 23 has been a little bit challenging for for, for me. There's a a couple of stocks which are large in the portfolio, which haven't done as well as one hoped. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know, I, you also look at, at like just the, the move in the last couple months, and you wonder, you know, how much, how much further, how much longer we can go into 2024. And maybe Paul has some some thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, Paul, you want to you want to go from there? Yeah, it,
3: listen, I, I echo a lot of the things that both the guys said here. Um, what what I really noticed in 20, well, late 2022. Um, you know, it's sort of the pocket of stocks that we tend to look at the, these, you know, profitable and growing nano caps. Um, they had done nothing for 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 a while, and um, in late yeah, late twenty twenty two, we really came out and, and argued that look, I mean, th- this is as cheap uh, I've ever seen these type of companies in my career. So we felt pretty com- you know pretty compelled to be pretty aggressively buying at that point, and and they've they've played out really well. Um, you know, I wish my portfolio did well uh, because of it, but, you know, some legacy positions that I had was really, you know, and and Jason had mentioned sort of what I'd done the year two before had a bigger impact on my 2023 performance than what I did in early 2023, right? Um, So he's right. I think, you know, how 2023 really plays out is going to be determined in the next couple of years based on what we did. But I really felt, um, what we saw anyway is that it, it was a it was a tale of kind of two markets maybe even three markets right you, you had the big stuff that everybody knew I mean that that's that's always kind of confused me it's you know valuations have been all over the place and and I'd almost say historically just way over what I've ever seen you know you know the obviously the Googles and the Nvidias and all those things but you know the the small stuff, was broken down into two markets in our mind. One is the ones that were actually profitable and growing, and then everything else that wasn't. And if you if you focus on the profitable and growing in twenty twenty three, you actually did really really well. Like we had an outstanding year if it was just those in our portfolio. And like I said, the damage was done by the ones that we we had the prior years. But those companies, um, and I think they'll continue to do well. Those companies that are profitable and growing, and nano caps that were kind of away from the institutional money uh, you performed exceedingly well. And, you know, you look at them today and they're still not that egregiously, well, they're not overpriced at all in my mind. I think we still have a lot of opportunities in that space. So, so again, it, it, you know, in general, if you looked at the market, you know, from, from 64,000 feet, you say, okay, well, the market wasn't too bad because you're throwing in all these big names. But if you, if you looked at the nanocaps caps it, as a group, they didn't perform well because ninety percent of them were in that bucket of you know speculative, not growing, not profitable, all that sort of stuff. But if you look at that five or ten percent, you go, holy smokes! Um, you know we we had we had three or four three four baggers this year, right? I mean, you don't need too many of those to have uh, you know pretty good performance. So, you know, it, it's tough because I've heard from a lot of investors. They said, yeah, tough year, tough year, tough year. And we're saying, okay, well, so far, it's been a good year. <laughs> um, like I said, I wish I'd cut cut and run on a couple of my legacy positions earlier, and it would have been an outstanding year. So, you know, and, and looking forward, um, you know, the thing that we follow a lot is where the big money is, you know, the institutional capital, are they coming down market? Are they staying up market? Um, we're starting to see a little bit of money come down market so um we don't really get worried until we see a lot of these institutional guys coming down market doing financings you know in, in 10 and 20 million dollar market cap companies um, until we see that we feel we feel pretty safe that uh you know the barbarians aren't quite at the
0: gate yet so we'll, we'll we'll keep uh we'll keep playing until they show up absolutely and thank you all for your for for that so i mean i think one common theme um, even just in your responses or like I said, you know, the you know, the stupid joke about the tingle of something changing, whatever at the beginning of this. But but truly there has been I've and I say this anecdotally, but I think it's also showing in in folks' portfolios, is that there is somewhat of a, a a sentiment change, you know. And I don't know if it's just because, you know, after two years of just this microcap bloodbath where Think you know, how could things continue to get even worse? And, you know, by the majority of people who know what they're doing, going into names that, or, or just really focusing more on the fundamentals, fundamental research, that kind of stuff. Um, and that's driving it. But in your guys opinion, what do you feel has, is some of the reasons for why in the last couple months we've been saying, I mean, look, it's not like it's been gangbusters, like, oh my God, pile into microcap right now. But there's definitely been somewhat of a, a sea change, so to speak. So, who who wants to tackle that first? Maybe to better understand why you think that. Might yeah, happen? I mean, I, I've got my
3: opinion. I'll, sure. I'll tackle it a little bit first. So, again, it's so so much of the microcap um, market is driven by institutional capital, right? The, the like they're ultimately the the, the determiners of what's going to happen in the market. If they're not in there then you're left to sort of the retail uh market to to sort of fend for themselves. And, and let, let's be honest, most of the retail market gets it wrong, right? They they want to go for the shiny object and get excited there. When you when you have ca- cost of capital rising like it is right now, those, those 80 and 90% of companies that are constantly sucking at the teat of the capital markets trying to, you know, refinance, refinance, those things don't do well, right? And if you've got no real capital supporting that, then those stocks are not going to do well. I think what we start to see is a, you know, cost of capital looks like it might start to come down. So maybe maybe people are getting a little bit more excited about the space, but there is a trend within the space. I think that now has become very obvious and it's the kind of companies that, you know, me, Jason and Maj tend to like, right? Profitable businesses that don't, don't refinance on a regular basis. The minute people start to see a trend, I think that's when they start to glom onto something and say, okay, I, you know, I just saw this other, small profitable growing company, you know, double and triple in price, let me go find the next one. Right. So that starts the flywheel going. The other thing that's been happening is in my space anyways, I'm starting to see more and more acquisitions and, and go privates. So you're starting to see a premium given there. Again, it attracts more investors to the space. But importantly, it also recycles that capital, right? If I if I end up selling my my stock because it's up, you know, it gets taken out, now I've got cash. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to likely go and find something that just, you know, delivered the same type of result. So I think that flywheel started now and it's, it's being recognized. right?
0: Such a good point. And that actually, we, we just, I just did a podcast with Matthew Martin talking about that specifically with Canadian microcaps about, you know, how there's been just, I don't want to say a flurry because it's not like, you know, there's a deal a week, but it's been feeling like that. And that is, that's it's noticeable. It's yeah. noticeable now. Yeah. 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 Logical. I think
2: yeah. I think like, I think like really what you know, you know put to put Paul again to, to, to basically agree with Paul here is that it really all came down to like the, the environment. And you know, when you're in a situation with, with with cost capital goes up and needing to raise money, it's it's a lot harder for companies to do. Those companies that can actually you know self fund and grow without having to raise capital become better and it's it's just a it's just a risker riskier off environment, right? So quality matters again. You know, when you were able to reef you know, um, have a, a, like a zero interest rate environment, you, you could take borrow capital and get a pretty not a high bar to to get a good return on that capital. And every institutions, you know, retail investors were willing to give away money these, like candy. And that, now it's not the case anymore. So the money is just isn't easy, easy you know, isn't going there as much. So it's got to go somewhere. And I think to Paul's point, like watching these, you know. If the fund flow, where is it coming from? The institutions are just going to, they're going to, I think, drive some of this. They're going to get them before pie retail does, right, Paul? I mean, they're, they're already buying some of these names. Um, and you can, if you track where the funds are going, they're doing it already. And you're starting to see some of these, some of the moves we used to see in the speculative names are now kind of happening now in the fundamental names. It's kind of weird. And I have forgotten uh, what that was like in my first 20 years it was all about that. So my my brother just actually just sent me a message and this is you know serendipitously here over here. It's crazy in the uh in our in our investor universe we track a geo um, the, the the new highs in November, which are like uh, the are the same new highs in December. That's the same stocks in the high. So when it was like when I was a kid and I would be I would track my um you know every month I would track okay how I did my top five stocks, whatever, and then I would look at the Wall Street Journal and whatever, Barron's, and they would, and I would look at their list of top stocks. I'd always have a few of them on it, and I hadn't had that type of experience until now again. It, it, it used to be just the biotech, the pump and dump stuff I wouldn't really want to buy. So you just see this whole shift, um, and it's it really is about cost of capital, like Paul said, and the, finally the, the more money coming into it on a consistent basis. We would see pockets of this in, for, for the last 15 years, and we get excited. we have a two- or three-week run in nano-cap land, and then it would go away. There was never enough capital to just keep it going, coming into the, in those names. And you're starting to see that shift right now. Um, and and I think also this whole, like, the, the, the stock's out so cheap that somebody's coming and saying, you know what, they're starting to buy back stock, um, starting to do things. You know, you got the gold private stuff going on. So all these things are happening at the bottom. in I'm really excited, kind of, like to see how that all plays out over time. I'm pretty optimistic it'll last for years. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, if we get this situation where rates come crashing down again, one day, I don't know what's going to happen. There, you're going to get a little bit of speculative. The speculation is never going away, guys. Right? It's always mm-hmm. going to be there. The real question is, is there go? Is the is the fund flow to our kind of stocks still going to be aggressive? While that's going on, I think it's going to be a little more balanced now than it was in the past.
1: I, I hope I hope there is a, a rally for human years, not like dog years. Because sometimes it will be seen in the past. <laughs> I think it's going to be, man. I really do. Mayfly, Mayfly. I'm pounding the, the table, Dave. I think yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will, I will, I will say, I, I, you know, I, I think some of the, I mean, some of the, the better microcaps, the more profitable microcaps, they, they've risen too. But some of the weaker microcaps have also gone up. So, you know, to the extent that you know anybody owns some weaker microcaps. Uh, and, and I'm sure it's not not Paul, not not Maj, but but you know, or, or but but uh this is sometimes a, ch- a chance to to age it out of those, right? Yeah. Take take the bump, uh, you know, we, you know, redeploy the money into businesses that have like superior fundamentals. Uh and and because frankly, if if sooner or later, okay, you've got that sugar high that comes from a change in the in the market direction, changing the cost of capital, but it's gonna be the earnings, it's gonna be the you know the 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 stronger business fundamentals that that are necessary to drive a market higher for you know for years, right? So if you're in a company that doesn't have that, uh, and, and your stocks just pop fifty percent, one hundred percent, this is this is the chance to you know to get out, right? Don't don't be greedy. You know, bulls make money, bears make money,
2: pigs get slaughtered. Uh, you know, shift into something
1: that's just a better company.
2: Yeah, mm. I think we're in a great environment for like just long great stocks and short crap. There's going to be a slow bleed to zero, Jason. You know, yeah. these little, little pops, people are probably getting excited they're going to buy into them. And then they're going to all going to keep going down again. These companies losing $10 million a quarter, $5 million a quarter, $20 million a quarter, still trading over a dollar. You know, it, it, just, it just gets a slowly to zero. And you're absolutely right. Get out while you yeah. can't. Yeah. I think. Going uh, to, going you, to. you know,
3: I, another note, I mean, you brought something up I think is important too. It's like, look, a lot of these companies have sort of suffered in obscurity uh, for the last little while. Um, and 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 you know they were almost forced to do share buybacks because they were the only buyers in town. In some cases, you know they they had to you know use their cash in, in some format. But what what that is, in essence does too is it kind of cleans up the riffraff, right? Like right. usually with an NCIB, a properly executed NCIB, you're getting rid of your worst shareholders, right? So if you do that long enough, yeah. what ends up happening is you, you get a, a cohort of shareholders that are actually good quality shareholders. And then when you get the kind of market you're seeing now. The supply and demand imbalance is skewed towards the owner of that business, right? Um, you know anybody who wants to buy these companies that have been, you know, weeding out all their shitty shareholders. Um, am I allowed to say shitty in this thing? I, too late. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, oh. It's, you <laughs> just did. So
2: I guess so. No. <laughs> <laughs>
3: exactly. No. But, so you, you get my you get you get my point, right? You, you get rid of you get rid of your weak as shareholders, and then now when the market starts to get a little bit healthier. Um, that that supply and balance is there and also you get these big pops in share price and it starts that flywheel that I talked about right all of a sudden these these little obscure companies that nobody cared about forever now somebody looks like somebody cares and there's more eyeballs on it, right so you get that momentum built up as well and now instead of a company trading at six times earning it's trading at 10 and you know and, and some people might think oh my gosh that's expensive but historically you know it's not and it it, it it just it the juices get flowing again I think that's what we're starting to see as well
0: absolutely I mean you know going to the point on you know maybe some of these you know public's going private you know getting the, these premium takeouts, you know I I think I might ask this to Matthew and I'm curious everybody's question you know to your answers here is that you know with this kind of change in sentiment this this you know, a little bit more momentum going towards the fundamental. And these private equity firms, they're not dumb. And especially some of these larger, you know, maybe mid-cap, small-cap, that are looking maybe to make some strategic acquisitions, they're not dumb. They probably see this as like, all right, we need to get the getting while the getting is good. Because otherwise, like, if if this sea change continues to, to happen, you know, at a pace where everything moves much faster than we expect it to, you know, do you guys think that we're going to start to see more of these, Kind of takeouts or do you feel like we're going to be starting to see more like SPV type stuff? You know, I'm curious your opinion, I have a thought on it, but I'd love to get your, your take there.
3: Um, so my opinion, I'll jump in first again. Um, so my opinion is, yeah, usually you see, you see these type of transactions at, at, at the extremes of the market, either capital is so cheap that you, you're able to go out and buy whatever you want, or valuations are so cheap that, that those with capital are actually going out and doing transactions. Um, like I, I think we're in an environment, especially in sort of our neck of the woods, the, the smaller companies, where a lot of these companies, you know they're profitable and growing, they're kind of questioning why they're public, right? they're They're questioning what what? Why am I doing this? The market's not properly valuing me. I don't need my currency to you know my shares a currency to go do transactions, and I wouldn't anyway, because we're too cheap. What what's another way that I can sort of you know maximize my valuation here? And when, when you're paying fees to be a public company, you sit there and going, what why am I doing this? Right. So they're they're a little bit more likely to want to either in, you know, instigate a transaction or there's somebody else that's looking at it and going, you know what, we can X out a whole bunch of costs at pretty cheap valuation if we go and take these guys out. So I, I think it's a it's a it's sort of a testament to where we are in the market cycle for these companies, right? I, I mean, capital is not super cheap right now. So I don't think people are going doing these transactions because they got a bunch of cheap money. So it has to be, in my opinion, because these things are just too too compelling.
0: Jason?
1: I mean, I, I have really nothing to add. I think Paul did a great job answering it. So I'll, I'll pull the monger. I have nothing to
0: add.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I, I just think, too, that what's interesting, Paul, too, is ironically, we might get for a period of time better valuations on takeouts now. Because mm-hmm. the markets, the market's getting better, and these, these some of these valuations, we, there's been a period of time where a lot of these nano caps haven't gotten great premium valuations. Once it becomes more obvious, there's going to be an expansion of value evaluation, evaluation multiples. We might actually see better premiums on some of these takeouts. I'm thinking, um, than we maybe did, you know, prior to that uh, prior, and they might be happening from higher valuation basis, too. So yeah
3: i i I think that that's a that's a function of some confidence coming back into the buyer's mind right i mean we've been in pretty uncertain times the last year or two you start to get a little bit more certainty in what the future looks like you're prepared to pay up for it right so i i would i would agree with you i think there's a good chance for something like that
0: yeah yeah very Very good. Mm all right i mean i think we covered most of the major major themes news i mean there's a couple more, but I, I, we've talked about it ad nauseum on the podcast, you know, having to do with like, you know, maybe there's a bump in healthcare biotech now. Um, what else? Uh, it, I mean, it was really just kind of the change in sentiment. That was kind of the most recent, I'd say, thing in the last couple of months. Is there anything else we've missed that you guys found interesting about 2023 from an investing perspective in small microcaps? You know, yeah, I just, just like to
2: maybe throw some of those stats out there. I was talking about sure. earlier to close on it to, to put this in the perspective of why I'm just pounding the table why I think you know some type of value investing, whatever strategies back in town. Now, um, so the, the index that I kind of put together here was strictly momentum based index, whether I was tracking three month highs or twelve month highs. You know, with a little qualitative next to it. You know, but looking to just with that strong earnings outlooks basically from what we were reading. Um, And then maybe some turnarounds. So the qualitative kind of meeting the quantitative at the right time, we're trying to figure out. So we did it about, you know, over 18 months ago now. And so we created two indexes. One was, I just call the passive index, which is I just add these cliff notes. Um, I I write a small note, add a cliff note, add the stock to the index. And um, that over that period of time was up, you know, 24.75% as of today um and the Russell is only a 0.94 percent and that's over um in terms of the amount of stocks um it looks like 71 stocks so that's basically putting them in not changing anything so if they go down to zero they go to zero whatever case okay, not even doing any active management on it and then when I saw when I thought it was okay maybe this is working again um, I said, well, let me let me go back and maybe start doing some active stuff. So, creating an active index too. So, starting to take out the better ones, or, or remove, remove the remove and, and putting it in its own index, but still tracking the overall passive. And that's you know basically at thirty percent. So you're getting that interesting kind of alpha there too, right? By, by by trying to do a little bit of quality management on on top of that as things move along. Um, and then when you look at some of the more stats underneath the hood. Um, you have, um, if I can find it here really quick. So, give me one second here. I'm trying to find out how much, how many doubles there were. I think there were like yeah, 16, 18 doubles of those 70 some stocks. There were at least one up a double, um, during that time. Just so that, I thought that was also interesting, too. What well, this is kind of all proven out too, I think, I was thinking about these two guys is like when you look at like Jim O'Shaughnessy's stat about. The, the long-term kind of advantage you have investing in nano caps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you have to look long-term. Sometimes we, if we, you can't judge a, a market by two or five years, sometimes five years or seven years, right? Ashani well, was, you know, over, over over decades is his study. And you have that 8% or 8.24% um, beat over the larger cap companies. So the smallest decile companies beat the largest decile companies by 8.24% on an annual basis over the years. And I don't even know if Jim was even including all the stocks, I mean, he was doing some, maybe getting rid of some, like maybe illiquid stocks from that kind of study too, potentially. And then you sort of think, okay, that's a diversified base of universe you're going into hunt into, right? Which already beats the market by doing nothing. Now, if you can go in there and kind of pick out the quality, it's showing that, you know, this whole concentration versus diversification kind of um, argument we get into a lot of times in investing, this is showing that a diversified, equally equally weighted diversified portfolio across the whole universe, some of the better quality ones, is is doing pretty good. And I thought that was an interesting kind of perspective. And I tell you, see, when I used to own stocks back in the day, I was very diverse. I, I would own like three, four hundred stocks, doing really really well, or went away from that over time. And now I'm seeing well, that's when when this market's right for what, the way we do things and this GARP momentum thing, I think it's, it works really well. So I'm really excited to see how this continues to kind of play out as we move forward. And this other theme I like, guys, is this, you know, I this, I call this big cap, micro cap kind of theme, which is these nano cap stocks with, you know, big cap revenue, or going towards that kind of level. And the reason I like it is because it's less speculative, psychologically speaking, than a, than, a, than a lower revenue company. And I think as you go through this kind of evolution of nanocaps becoming more in, in favor again, that piece of the area gets kind of played at first. See, so you come with maybe a billion dollars in revenues, or $500 dollars in revenues, or two hundred million dollars in revenues as nanocaps actually, and that's where a lot of institutional money is going to hit first. And I'm I'm seeing that mm-hmm. trend. In one of the, the stats I'm tracking also, where they're 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 really doing really well. So these old school coming been around for a long time, um, and eventually that's going to Money trickles down slower and slower than other companies in the nano cap kind of sphere. Much well, do those do those companies with like large,
1: large revenues then, but if they're like micro caps or, or even like particularly night, uh, nano caps, they must have like fairly low gross margins or fairly high nice operating time. expenses. Something something yeah. to keep them like yeah. like a nano cap, right?
2: Yeah, so usually so, what happens those, those companies you're seeing there, like they haven't done well. They're, they're they're trading at really low valuations because they haven't done well. Maybe they're going through a turnaround. There's some hair in a lot of them too, right? Where okay. you're not seeing, um, but then you look for change in these areas, right? These these ones that are going through that little pocket of big cap micros. So for example, if you looked at, um, there's in a the universe we track, there's 141 stocks trading as micro caps that have 500 plus more revenue. You know, there's um, uh, another uh, 209 stocks to 300 stocks trading between 250 and 500 million, um, and there's you know 350 stocks trading between 100 million and 250 million. So you, it, it's not just the billion dollar guys. We you know I I I go down to like 50 50 million is where I start to track to track that kind of evolution of stocks that might might be there. But a lot of them happen to be these boring companies that have been around for 20 30 years that are just finding new ways to grow or maybe an activist is getting involved to change things up a little bit. Uh, you know, a good a good example of that is like, um, you know, Lakeland Industries L A K E, which is the stock I own right now. For, for full disclosure, uh, and you know, it's a PPE uh, you know a, a stock. So it, it got caught in that whole COVID kind of thing. You know, stock ran, right. um, and um, now it's they're changing the way they do things. They're they're, they're actually exiting a lot of the those was finding markets that aren't necessarily those cyclical PPE type markets. So it's changing, you know, and um, their growth trajectory is probably going to change over time. And so we're seeing right now the stock's starting to move up a little bit based on that. And an interesting thing here, guys, is this uh, information arbitrage you hear me talk about. This is really interesting on Lake. So Lake is a $200 million company revenue-wise, right? It's followed by, you know, you know some, some, some analysts, right? And um, But they, they, have, they have like a, a three-year kind of growth plan out there where you know they they have their target EBITDA margins their target revenue so their target EBITDA margins for example are to be at 18% or, or high 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 teens um and maybe revenue to grow to maybe um 100 and like 70 million they're about 100 maybe 15 right now the analysts haven't picked any of that into their estimates at all even though they're already hitting on this target so that's not as you get in our nano cap space is even these analysts are are sleeping on a ball too so you have a situation where you have this boring company finding new markets where analysts are off the mark, and you know you have a stock that can go from maybe fifteen to sixty bucks over to we, we're thinking over the next two or three years. But so let's looking for change, Jason, in that kind of change in that kind of boring, kind of old school type of stock kind of pool there.
1: Yeah, I'll, it's interesting. The reason why I asked like, 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 do they have low gross margins or like, like, high operating expenses and things like that? Because one of the the, the changes in sort of my approach in the last last year or two actually is originally I was looking for like very high gross margin businesses, uh, you know, but for every high gross margin business uh, in a, in a micro cap, you tend to have like a smaller revenue uh, and probably like a smaller scheme of employees. Right. So sometimes it's like, you're very dependent on like the top guy or the top two mm-hmm. guys, right. For a given level of, 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 market capitalization. And I found in some ways, one of the, the biggest challenges for micro caps or, or nano caps is right a management team that can expand, like you can add on you know, other employees and it could pass on sort of management leadership roles to a, to a second level or, or third level. Right. So when you have a like companies with like lower gross margins, you tend to have uh, like more employees per dollar of market cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in essence, I also think that perhaps that plays to your, just this, you know, this, this, maybe this thought that, Hey, some of these companies could be taken over because if you're a private equity team, or if you're a, a, uh, some other player in the industry, and you're thinking about buying like a, like a microcap. Uh, you probably don't want to be like totally dependent on mm-hmm. one founder or like one or two people, right? You want a, a management layer that you can you can just who who don't own a ton of shares, but who will stay with the company as as employees going forward. So mm-hmm. I, I think this, in some ways, this, this plays in terms of like think about like the kind of fundamentals. Uh, if you if you if you're playing for like okay, some of these companies can be taken over. Think about the, the kind of fundamentals of, of of a company that will be attractive to a, you know, a private equity mm-hmm. or, or 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 some other some other player in the industry. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely, Jason. I mean, you, you have these companies that are it's 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 you know a lot of them are like maybe low risk plays. You know, you have a company that's already yeah. has revenue, established markets, maybe and 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 we well, the best way to get multi is change. So you find these low gross margin companies and have high expenses. You just come in and right. change them. There's there's a multi-bagger move from hundred million revenue to, to, to a billion, right? There's, right, still, right, there's still that a right, possibility there. We all focus on that, well, you know, that that, that the 10 million to 50 million revenue hundred million. There's many multi-bagger moves in a company that will billion dollars in revenue.
1: Right. And even if you yeah. don't build up the revenue, if somebody comes in and takes out, you know, raises the gross margin. If you like have a business that has like a like a four percent or five percent operating income like percentage, right? You take out just a little bit of gross margin, you take a little bit of opex, you can double it. Right, mm-hmm. and it, it's so attractive to, especially if cost of capital is high. I mean, mm-hmm. these are the kinds of like kinds of companies you will really, you know would be attractive, right? Because you, you instantly turn the multiple that you buy uh, from like mm-hmm. you know maybe seven x or six x or four x to like two x. I mean, and how yeah. can you resist that if yeah. you're a, a smart player in an industry? Well, it's, y- it's y-
2: amazing how much small small changes in gross margins with little ch- can, yeah. can can do for your, or right. margins in general can can do right. your right. entire.
3: I, I think you guys have hit on something and Jason, by the way, what you just described there, I, I think is brilliant. I haven't really uh, even thought of uh, some of those things, but I think the other thing that plays out here is that, I mean, we, we've had inflationary pressures over the last several years. So you've got a lot of these these sort of old school businesses that are sitting on assets that if you were to go and try to re, you know, rebuild them to, at today's uh, prices, you'd be paying significantly higher, whether it's real estate building, you know. Uh, even inventory, in some cases, machinery—you name it. I mean, the cost will be significantly higher. It, in some cases, it's cheaper to, to buy than it is to go and build new. So you're right. You you squeeze out a couple percentage points. You you take advantage of these assets that are probably grossly mispriced. Um you've got you've got the you know you got a, a pretty big uh, return on your on your acquisition capital here. So it, it makes a ton of sense that people are out there looking at doing this. I think the other thing. And call it a trend or whatever, but this this idea of re- reshoring or onshoring is is having a big impact on some of these decisions as well, right? I mean, are you you know, there's enough businesses now that are sitting there going, do we want to go and and risk our assets in, in China, or do we want to do we want something closer to home? And and when you do that exercise, you go, my goodness, there's one down the street that we can pick up for pennies on the dollar, right? I think these are all decisions that start to to, to have an impact.
1: And, and right. Paul, I would say that like there's another there's like a class of like microcaps, which are like old school businesses. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. some of them maybe in the Midwest, the United States, or uh maybe uh, I don't know, the suburb of Mississauga. I mean they're like yeah. outside of Mississauga, right? Yeah. Uh uh but you know, and and in essence they've been playing at a disadvantage for years because they've yeah. had Chinese and other Asian competitions. Mm-hmm. Suddenly now now the playing field's changed a little bit, right? Uh and you see that, you know, in some of these these, these gigantic moves you see in, in some of these like old industrial companies. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them have been run fairly well. It's just that they've always mm-hmm. been, the, the, the field has been tilted, so, uh, right? Yeah. And now the, the field is yeah. even again.
3: Yeah, the, this is actually, this is one thing that we picked up over a year ago. We, we saw this starting to play out. And that's exactly what we came out and said to a lot of people was that, look, some of these assets that are here um, are not being properly um, understood. And if we continue to see the trends we're seeing, you know, the security supply, we called it, right? You now, you know, because of the pandemic and you it, it took so long to get stuff uh, from international sources, you had to go and find a secondary source down the street where you knew it was going to be there, right? So all of a sudden there's more and more companies that are prepared to pay that, that extra premium to make sure that product is always there. So these these local businesses all of a sudden start to do better. And when people start to see, you know, maybe add a little bit of automation, add a little bit of other you know, changes to, to streamline these businesses, they became extremely competitive with their national s- sources. So, you know, the, the value all of a sudden uh, people notice it again. I, I would also say that the investor psyche has changed, right? Um, I think people are kind of tired of paying 20 times SAS revenue for a business. And they're now starting to look at. Wait a minute, I can go and buy a business for three or four times EBITDA, uh, or, or even earnings in some cases. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit boring, but you know that that makes sense to me, right? And it's it's funny how we all we all sort of our brains work. But the minute we start to see it start to work, that's when we it sort of validates us, and, and now we're even more interested than we were before, right?
1: I mean, uh, just just to say, I mean, it, it, talking about like a, like a sea change in thinking, like like you know, our, our friend Harris Harris Perlman, right? I mm-hmm. mean, he, he's had a stock that's that's in in canned vegetables, uh, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it's hard to think that three or four years ago anyone would have given a damn that's about right. canned vegetables, yeah, right? And now. I mean, in some ways, you know, of course, you always have to be careful about something. But now everybody's trying to become—I want to be canned vegetable expert, right? Because you know, I, I, twenty-four-seven, oh. I'm thinking about canned vegetables, and that never would have happened like like a few oh, years yeah. ago. I'll tell
3: you the other one—that's HVAC businesses. I can't believe how many people yes. are jumping around and saying, "Hey, you know, HVAC <laughs> businesses are sexy." Right. Yeah, um, boring yes. is sexy now, right? Boring is sexy. Boring is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it, right. it's so,
2: it's so, and that pool of companies, Jason, of these old, that these boring companies that, you know, have been, you know, and these is, is just, there's is a big pool of them, enough to make a lot of money of them for years to come.
3: And, and add to the fact that most of these are being run by 60 and 70 year olds, right? And, yeah. and there's this, this whole transition we've got to consider as well. Um, I, I think you're going to see another move towards these these enterprises or, or businesses that are going to start to roll up some of these sort of succession issue type industries that we, we see from time to time. So, so you know, in Canada, we've had this company called Boyd Group for years, and they've just been buying up uh, mechanic shops, right? And it, it's, it's been a massive, massive winner. But, but very, very rarely do you hear somebody come out and say, hey, I, let me tell you about this exciting stock that I own. Uh, they go out and buy mechanic shops, right? Um, but but it's it's starting to happen again. Uh, that's what I'm getting at. It's starting to uh, boring getting, is beautiful again. Yeah.
2: I'm actually getting calls, Paul. From like uh, I got a call from an activist uh, about uh, two months ago that's just that started picking our brain. Like how can how can they start getting into the business where they start rolling up just these wire cap companies in general? It's rolling up themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, Together and package them a little bit. It's it's it got to that point where you're seeing all, all of that coming together. Oh yeah,
3: it, it's but you, but again, you never see that at the top of the market, right? You <laughs> no. tend to see that at the bottom of the market. That's why I'm kind of encouraged. You're very encouraged yeah.
0: You
2: know,
3: it's uh, you know, some people are starting to see, they're starting to really see the value. It's becoming very plainly obvious.
2: But uh, two interesting examples. By I'll leave you guys at this. You know, that you bo- both made individually. So Jason, you were talking about like this. Just taking a little bit of margin improvement, right? So without that's exactly what the situation like with Lake when you know, you have like a a situation where there may be 10, 10% EBITDA margins now, they go to 18% EBITDA margins with very little revenue growth. That's significant. And I think you see a lot of that in that boring kind of company kind of space you see. And also, guys, you know, a lot of these companies during this, the ones that have survived and gone through the you know the 2022 kind of reset have right sized their balance sheets have right sized their sg a mm-hmm. have increased their prices, which a lot of them might stick. So you have a better just environment to work from from these companies. And again, Paul, that makes it more obvious for a buyer to come and buy these stocks. These mm-hmm. these companies already done done the restructuring already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and and um and this other thing you guys are talking about, like trends in terms of you now now we have this whole like protectionism thing. That's so true. There's a, there's a company I don't own it anymore, but it was called Virco. It's V I R C which is a they make furniture for schools. And for the last 20 years, they've just been getting killed by China. And they own about 50% of the market in the US. And the stock was mm-hmm. selling at a PE of like three or four or five it was ridiculous. And um, I bailed out of it because I said, what am I missing here? Because they weren't growing that well, but they were at that time. And um, all of a sudden the stock's $3 to $10, $11 bucks now. Um, mm-hmm. And you got your a little bit of valuation re-rate in a business you would not have thought would have got a valuation re-rate. And they talk about, you know, we're just getting this, all this business from China, we're getting it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're the 50% market share, now we're all, we're getting 50% of all the business. So those are really interesting trends to take a look at. I think that protection trend is really cool out. And I bet you it's gonna affect a lot of companies that, mm-hmm. and the, these boring, beautiful, old school companies. I think Paul also touched on an interesting point.
1: Like a lot of these leaders of some of these boring companies, they are like, like 60, 70, sometimes even older. Right. Uh, And yes, they can be taken out. But sometimes they also have like a like a younger generation come in as a Mm -hmm. a new CEO. Mm -hmm. And those are sort of interesting transitions to look at. Right. Because the younger guy probably will hopefully make some of the moves that the older generations just didn't want to do because didn't want to be disruptive or didn't want to, you know, get rid of somebody who's been in a position for 22 years, but hasn't really been doing a good job for 15. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sometimes you can really see margin improvement just from uh, a, you know, a new management team coming in, uh, probably some some you know executive vice president who's now been elevated, uh, and, and finally making some decisions that really should have been done five years ago, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, uh, as long as you get get again, it has, you have to get these companies at the proper valuation though, yeah. right? Because right. it's like kind yeah. of buying like a commodity company like at, at a. You know, that's made a tremendous amount of money, right? I mean, sometimes the cycle turns, so yeah. there is a little bit of like cyclicality to some of these old school businesses you have to be aware of.
3: I'm going to give you a great example of sort of a, a, a new new way of thinking that came in because of a change in sort of generational management. There, there's a th- this company's been around for oh god, probably close to 100 years. So there, there's a company called ADF Group up here in Canada, mm. and what these guys do is they they're, they're basically metal metal structure fabricators so you know big buildings big you know airport hangars and and all these big buildings that you 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 tend to see and and they were doing it old school but they started automating a lot of these processes right using robotics to change what they're doing and here's a here's a a business that was kind of s- slow and steady very very cheap you know two three four times earnings uh, for the longest time but but this automation, this new way of thinking, this change in this old school business, all of a sudden their margins completely changed, right? They they, they were seeing gross margins improving. They were able to undercut competitors that were doing it the old school way. And this company now, it, its its backlog is doubled, it's tripled. It's it's And and guess what? The market has recognized it now. The market now sees it differently. Um, it's grown in market capitals and institutional money is coming to this thing. And the, the, this is a stock that we we highlighted it early last or late last year um uh, i think it was a dollar 20 when we highlighted it it's it's six the it foreign change or six and change now like it's yeah. yeah it's it's had a dramatic move and um you know here's a really boring business right old school boring business that has innovated and all of a sudden changed all sorts of dynamics around the business I think there's more and more of that that's going to be coming I think you know, the idea of robotics, the idea of automation, the idea of these things that you can change um, that, that, you know, this rapid type of change and innovation here, you apply it to some of these old school businesses. You get different businesses completely.
2: I'm actually interviewing them for the first time in January, Paul. So Great business, great totally. business. Thanks.
3: And uh, these guys have, yeah, they, they've hit it out of the park. Right. I think you wow. answered a lot
2: of questions. So, yeah, but I don't have to call them. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I,
0: you know, I, I'm just sitting here smiling cause I'm just, I, loved everything that you guys were saying like that is some incredible insights i feel like i should just like cut that part out itself and just put it out (laughs) for people to watch no one wants to hear from me they want to hear from you guys so that was that was the good stuff right there so um you know look we're coming up close to about the hour point in the interview and i did put out a tweet yesterday for people to send in some questions and there's some there's some pretty good ones so i figured i'd kind of go into that uh because we covered pretty much everything having to do with 2023 and even kind of looking ahead to 2024 already. So here's some of the questions that I wanted to get to first from Simon Handrahan from MOS Capital. Uh, Simon, what's going on, man? Uh, We just had him on the podcast earlier. I think it was earlier. Yeah, Simon. Yep. Yep. Um, So his question was uh, for individuals in microcaps, is microcaps an evergreen pond or is there times to fish elsewhere? And he also in parentheses said, do your best to put biases aside so uh, who wants to tackle that first i'm
3: the oldest guy i can tell you that i've been doing this probably longer than all those two, those two other young guys put together um there's, <laughs> there, there's never been a shortage of good deals in the microcap space never i as long as i've been in this business um you do get times where it seems like there's always a shinier object for sure but if you're consistent i think you know um i think it was maj uh, mentioned uh jim oshaughnessy uh what works on wall street um, you know, historically over time, if you go to the obscure sort of smaller companies that institutional money can't can't really touch until it's bigger, you, you'll you'll outperform in the long run. Um, but, yeah, there's always little bits and pieces of time where where something else outperforms.
2: Yeah. Oh. I, agree, I, agree. I don't think look, I, I disagree with I totally agree with Paul there. I mean, look, you could there's 10,000 minor cap stocks in North America that we can hunt through. You know, does can you make money in the big caps? And you know, sure you can do that. But my thing is like, stay. I want to stay focused on what I think can, I can do best. Whenever I've gotten out of focus of what I do, I just get distracted a little bit, and it just takes me out of my thing. And it might work for a while, but it's one, and I just have more fun too. So yeah, there's opportunity in, in every market cap arena. You just got to pick where you think you have your edge. If you think you have an edge in understanding, um, you know, big cap companies, and because you're in the industry, whatever it might be, and that's that's fine. But there's never endless amount of opportunity in any type of market environment. I've been with Paul, right? I mean, whether it's a bear market, bull market, you're going to find something.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and wh- why, why not look for where we have that biggest edge in this in most misunderstood, most ignored market, and you know, in the world, <laughs> in metal mm-hmm. caps. Let
1: me let me just disagree a little bit, or at least uh, like modestly disagree in the sense that I I think there is a an advantage to perhaps not being a, like a total micro cap investor, and I, I totally understand why. Uh, some people would just be 100 percent focused on microcaps there are so many names out there uh, on the other hand you know having some some other expertise whether it's like mid caps or large caps uh, gives you a little bit of an advantage in the sense like you can you can ask yourself whether you're really being compensated appropriately for the illiquidity you know for in the microcaps uh, in any given moment in time uh, and also sometimes i think you know sometimes uh, microcap investors who are 100 percent microcaps as soon as a company sort of exits out of that micro cap stage, they kind of want to cut it and like put the money back into micro caps. And sometimes you really do want to let, let these businesses run. Right. I, I like to joke that like that, you know, the best microcap investors in some ways have a portfolio where the, the greatest percentage of their portfolio is not in micro caps, right? Mm-hmm. Because they own micro caps that turn into small caps and hopefully turn into mid caps. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think, you know, I, I think, you can be extremely successful microcap only investors. You can be extremely successful investor that that, that that does both. The problem is just the question is, like, how much time do you have? And right. how, what's your ability to to really develop expertise in, in a variety of different areas? Because it does take time to develop expertise in the market cap area. You just can't spend mm-hmm. three weeks on it in
2: a year and say, hey, I I, I get it. Yeah. You know, you could have bought Netflix and Amazon and all those guys and just. Not done any expertise, is done fine, right? Well, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes, that's that's
1: true. It's and like, some of those, I mean, like Netflix was a microcap at one point in time, right? Cool. For, yes. for you know, right? So, uh, uh, so you know, the, the point is to hopefully find that that that's you know that and just hold on to it. Of course, if you do that, then you're you're probably uh, you're probably not watching us. Uh, and you're probably having like an assistant to an assistant to an assistant.
2: Watch us. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I, I will, a, I will say that I have 10 like, minutes I, at least. Yeah. yeah. I, I
0: do. Like,
2: I have my, my, my biggest market cap stock now is probably, um, maybe it's 2 billion. So I mean, I, I do do it once in a while, but it's like, I think that, like you said, how much time you have to go through that whole kind of,
1: yeah,
3: you know, um, you know, the, uh, I, I love what Jason said. I think at, at the end, um, you know, the best microcap investors in the world, you're right, uh, don't own microcaps. Right? <laughs> you, you, <laughs> yeah. you you found the ones that just kept going and growing. And and look, as I get older, what i what I realize is look, I want to set it and forget it, right? I don't I want to find that company where I actually never have to look for another microcap again, right? Um so so it's not necessarily just the the financial rewards. You want to sit there and say, you know what? I'm I'm so happy with what I own. I'm going to go and travel in, in Europe for the next three weeks and not even look at my screen once. Right. Um, you know, there, there's there's massive value in being able to, to 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 say that.
1: Well, Paul, I think I think like I, I think,
3: yeah,
1: good. Go oh, I'll just also just to say that that you know a lot of times if you have like a mid cap or large cap investor, uh, especially if you have a smaller portfolio or even if you're an institutional player that's you know, sort of smaller uh, running a smaller fund, you can't necessarily talk to at the management teams of like a large cap company, mm-hmm. right? Or or you get very, very sort of silky, smooth answers. Uh, but maybe, you know, if you also follow some micro caps, you can follow micro caps in your given little area or sector, which may give you some, a lot of good information that will help you for your large cap portfolio. So I really do think there's an advantage for, I, I don't understand why these, you know, large cap guys, and I understand there's, there's there's size constraints. I don't want to go down a little bit just for the information, at the very mm-hmm. least, uh, mm-hmm. and then maybe you'll also end up saying, you know, what there's there's some advantages maybe to own something, uh, you know, in, in a different part of the of, of the chain of the supply chain. So mm-hmm. I I think there's a lot of a lot of advantages to being uh, uh,
2: multi multi market if you can if you have the time. Mm-hmm. I think Jason, now that is it. So it's I think for me it's more a matter of like if you start doing if I start looking at companies in the big cap area, right, to yeah. to buy. I haven't, uh, on day one on that company, I haven't gained an information advantage. It's going to be really hard for me to gain that advantage like you're talking about. Now, I, you can look at, we can look at the numbers and their, the analyst estimates and everything and try and get, a, is it, is it, is a does the market miss something there? But if I was to look back, what I wish I would, to your point, what I wish I would have done differently in my career would have been these, when I was engaging with these companies when they were nano caps and then I sold them. I knew them so well because I engaged with them when they were smaller. So I, under, I had a good rapport with management, understood the company. I should have kept a long tail of these really small positions of these nano caps that I sold just to have a long tail to see what would have happened if I would have kept them instead of selling all of them. And because I I would have, I felt comfortable with them. I already developed that kind of relationship with them to understand the company. And that's kind of what I would have, I wish I would have done differently in my, my, my career it, not right. just been an out you know. One thing I like to say though about like microcap investing, and this is
1: and, and Maj is, is an expert, so it doesn't refer to Maj. But there is a difference between uh, have, getting more information and getting like an information advantage. Because sometimes right. you gather information that really doesn't. I mean, it's it's cool, it's interesting, it's neat, but it doesn't really move the the, the like the valuation understanding any any you know further, right? Uh, you know, knowing that the you know the daughter of the CEO, you know, loves like pottery, uh, doesn't really do anything. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's cool. It's a nice fact to, you know, to, to drop, uh, right. You know, but, you know, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, what difference does it make? <laughs> right. 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 Yeah.
0: Very cool. All right. Um, we continue on with the questions. Um, so I think this is, you know, this is a serious question, you know, because I know how all three are, uh, you know, really into crypto and stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe just start with why Bitcoin will outperform everything in 2024 and go from there. You know, I think that's this is really important, you know, because I have a huge crypto following that only listen on to my podcast for crypto. So uh,
3: this is clearly a question for Jason and Maj. <laughs>
0: I, I think they're were saying. Up. I think they were saying the same thing. I think Maj was to say this is clearly a question for Paul and Jason. <laughs> start start with the guy who has boss on his shirt. <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> it you right, say we... crypto boss? I think
0: it this says is crypto, crypto boss. Yeah, yeah, it's a crypto, crypto yeah. Boss. It, right. That's
2: what it says, right? There. Crypto boss. All right, the next question. Is, the biggest people out of is I don't own any of it. That's <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's, <laughs> that's why, but uh, yeah, I um, I love it. I love it when one of my stocks Symbol is the same symbol as a crypto coin because it gets a little played. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's actually that should be a strategy. Just mint like uh some like shit coin that is like one of the stocks that you own. There you go. That it's there it is, it just goes viral on Twitter and people, yeah. Okay, why I not? I will say
2: spending a lot of time in Puerto Rico, I've been doing the Puerto Rico thing for a few years now. <laughs> so I'm a lot a lot around a lot of the crypto people. I'm just like little black sheep with you know the boring stock guy. But um, you know, there is there there are some interesting uh, situations where you can start actually valuing crypto because there is cash flow coming into some of these DeFi projects if you want to go that route. So, yeah, you know, I think I might, like, at some point in my career, want to take a look at that and see if it, if it would work. But I have no idea where it's going to be.
0: Yeah. Quite frankly, there's so much opportunity in, in the small there's market. So the market. There's yes. so much stuff right now that it's… I'm
2: know. just hoping crypto does really well because hopefully some of that money, that kind of a speculative fever kind of kind of, kind of comes back into our… Our oh, listen, when rates go I back listen. to zero percent, you know, fine.
1: You I, I'm actually some concerned the up. opposite because I think every time, like, there, there are people who are invested in micro, like, who just like they're like volatility junkies. Yeah, right? yeah. And I'm concerned, like, if Bitcoin does perform really well, we pull out all those volatility junkies into another market. So, uh, I, in some ways, I hope it does. I hope it doesn't go down. I hope it doesn't go up. I just hope it doesn't move. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, I guess Jason, knows
2: yeah. too, and, and Paul, it's like, is that investor really the investor we we? we if we're going to get some better flow of institutional money into the market, I think that's what's missing a lot. The institutional flow in yeah, yeah. stocks, the retail guys You know, that, that's in and out, you know, isn't what I was I, I don't think it's been great because well, cryptos, cryptos hurt that right yeah but you, you're it's, the guys with newsletters don't you want subscribers i mean <laughs> right? but you know it, it
3: almost feels to me it feels a little bit like the old the old school days here up in vancouver with all these these penny mining stocks that you used to see yeah that's where that's where the trading junkies used to go to i think that sector has really suffered because I think the, the sort of the volatility and, and even the the theme around crypto in a lot of ways has has taken it away from from the gold market to some degree. So for me, when I when I look at crypto, it's more of a barometer of kind of what's happening in the general market. Like it is it, risk on and risk off. You know, you yeah. can you can sort of read it a little bit in that sector. And um, you know, I, I'm I'm with you, Jason. I mean, I think the best thing can happen is it sort of doesn't the volatility goes away and and. And the trading junkies kind of go go elsewhere. Mind you, the, the kind of companies I tend to like, I don't think they'd be attracted right. uh, to those kind of companies right. anyway. So right. I don't think it's going to affect me one way or the other. Yeah. For sure.
0: So, uh, and thank you for that question. Common Sense Investing at One Cent Invest. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, dude. Um, all right. Next question. Actually, Maj, you started answering this next question a little bit. And this is from at him. Hi, Michael. He on uh, x twitter whatever um his question is um has there been more uplisting or delisting in the micro and small cap space and the second part is where you started answering a little bit is how how is institutional active and passive fund flows in the space changing uh maj you started kind of answering that question a little bit you want to you want to go from there
2: yeah, I don't know. I haven't really tracked the you know, the, the listing. Delisting. Yeah, the first
0: part you don't have to, but the second uh, part, yeah. But
2: yeah. And I think Paul talked about it earlier in terms of the institutional flow, you know, watching that and that's getting better. So I know I looked at two stocks just this week. Lake was one of them and another one is CXDO Crescendo, which I also own. Um, the stocks have been doing really well. And I think what changed here and um, I went and the only thing I could find it was more, more funds have built significant positions in those stocks. So I I think it's coming and um, I think it's actually arrived to some degree. Um, And so I'm seeing positive inflow. I don't have any stats, but just casual kind of observation of the positions I own and seeing that flow getting better.
0: Paul, Jason, you want to touch on that? I mean, uh, to answer the first part of the question real quick before I I throw it off to you, I, I don't have any stats on more uplisting or delisting in micro and small cap there's been there's been a lot of you know notice of uh, uh, uh the issuer bid all that kind of stuff this year especially in you know companies listed on Nasdaq and stuff but mostly speaking anecdotally i don't have actual numbers there there's a few law firms i know that probably do so i'll i'll get those for you if uh if you're really that yeah, interested but, yeah i mean yeah,
3: well. yeah bobby i mean i don't i don't have the numbers but i can tell you anecdotally up here in canada there's uh, there's been a massive decline in new issues uh you know new ipos new new issues that way um, and even you know the, these acquisitions, of, if anything, they've, they've decreased the numbers even more when these companies are taken taken private. Um, it, it's all a function of that liquidity issue. There, there's, there just isn't that kind of capital for speculative new issues. Um, so from what we're seeing, I mean, again, you, you don't see that at the top of the market, you see that at the bottom of markets, right? This is all for, for our information. It, it's helpful in determining where we are in the cycle. Um, but yeah, there's there's very little in the way of new new deals, um, and then the the other part is so the the liquidity that we're seeing is still kind of nowhere close to where we are right in the sub fifty million dollar market cap companies. It's um, we're still seeing institutions stay relatively up market, but the minute it in canada usually it's about a hundred million dollar market cap almost the minute it crosses hundred million you start to see almost a feeding frenzy right so it's maybe it's the sign of more things to come i'm not saying they're coming down market but they're kind of waiting at that gate the minute something goes through that gate they're jumping on it like crazy and and maybe that's a sign that sooner or later they come down market but not there yet
0: well jason you want to comment on this real quick i I don't have too much to add just
1: to say that that Part of the challenges of being a microcap investor is that there are less statistics, right, in mm-hmm. our space, right. So you, you really do sort of rely on sort of, sort of anecdotal thoughts, some you know informed conversations with other other microcap investors. Uh, but that's one of the it's one of the challenges or opportunities, the way way you want to look at it, right? The fact that we don't know some of these these you know these sort of important questions, we don't have the answer to them. Uh, in some ways, creates the opportunity.
0: Very cool. All right. So final question from Twitter. And you could say pass if you want, because you know, I I you know this podcast isn't about, you know, your best stock picture or anything like that. But I appreciate the question. So I'll ask it. You know, it was written in uh from Hamor Fati Investing at Hamor Fati Invest on Twitter X. What stocks are you most bullish on heading into 2024 and why? <laughs> Don't, listen, there's a lot of people listening to this that are fast forwarding to the hour plus mark just to hear your answer here, <laughs> you know, but uh, I mean, if you want to take a stab, go for it. Or if you want to adjust it to uh, sectors or, you know, anything that, you know, along that, or we can make it more general. Just what are you most bullish on heading into 2024 and why? So, you know, I'll I'll leave it to you guys for how you want to answer it. If you want to go specific or keep it more general. So uh, Paul, you first.
3: You want me to go first? So listen, I mean, not not that we're trend followers or, or you know, we tend to be bottom up uh, type investors. So, But we are noticing some trends that in our mind are pretty obvious and some that we expect based on, on you know, things like demographic and and numbers. Um, in Canada, I mean, you guys are seeing in the US uh, as far as trends that the housing market in the States, um, it, I think it's surprised everybody. We, we've got a bigger issue up here in Canada. So I think as far as housing stocks. Um, I think we're going to start to see something kick here pretty aggressively. Um, so I think that's a sector to keep in mind. I'd say anything to do with onshoring. I, I still think we've got a long runway uh, of opportunity in the onshoring side. Uh, automation, robotics. I think that's that's a that's a no brainer in terms of of what's going to, you know, opportunities there. And then the other one that we we've touched on this a little bit, but satellite telemetry. I don't think people really understand what's happening with with the whole satellite and and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and the number of satellites that are up there. So I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunities that are going to present themselves that way. So that's sort of the top-down approach. The bottom-up approach that we took um, the 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 one stock we like a lot and we own a lot of it, so, you know, I'm obviously I'm talking my book. But it's it's a company called Thermal Energy. Uh, Symbol is TMG uh, on the Venture Exchange up here. It's a company that that manufactures um, sort of let's call it products or uh, machinery almost that that um, uh, it saves energy in institutional facilities, so manufacturing facilities. These things, uh, you know, they have a, a one to three year payback on installation. So real strong business case for what they're doing stocks run it for a bit and last a while but massive backlog that keeps growing so that that's that's our our number one stock right now
0: cool jason Uh, uh
1: I'm, I'm investing in some really obscure like Swedish names. I, I don't know whether it's like appropriate to sort of, sort of you know mention them. Uh, like at, I said, you point. can keep
0: it. You can keep it general. Yeah, you you can keep it general like
1: that. that. But I but I think we have touched on a number of different themes, right? I mean, the, the, the themes of like looking at like for real businesses uh, that 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 are sort of old school products and services that have been around. Uh, you know, for for so many years, like like investors have been looking for for like new companies that have been around for like a year and a half. And now there's really opportunity to like to like mm-hmm. do a screen or informal thing, like look for a company that's been around like seventy years, right? Uh, and in those, in some ways, are, are the are the the best opportunities right now. Particularly if you like combine it with some other kind of of, of catalyst, like like a change in management or something like that, or or this onshoring theme that that, that Paul uh, that thought. So um, this is this is this is the 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 age of gray beards. Great beard micro caps, I think. So that,
2: that's the that's my theme for twenty twenty four. Like well, it, Maj. Yeah, I think I share that you know theme actually with Jason. I mean, I'm just I think it echoes what I've been talking about earlier. Is that I, I just see this old school type of investing coming back and these kind of boring, obscure names. Uh, you know, pretty industry agnostic. Uh, depending wherever it takes me, it takes me. Um, as if the value is right, but I'm really concentrated on that that group of companies. Um, and, and I'm having success in it now, at least. And um, but you know, I, I still have a speculative fever to w- w- what I like to do. Um, and um, ironically, <laughs> the stock I like the most right now doesn't, doesn't probably fit those themes, but I think it will fit that theme. And I think that's what what I what I'm able. It's it's a Conatel K T E L. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the company has two two pieces of um, two parts of its business. One is just a host a a cloud telecom piece of the business think Twilio um and then another piece of the business which is providing uh telecom services to low income households and and it's a it screen and it's a subsidized business so the government subsidized the company for doing this um and it screens horribly it doesn't scream like a garp stock or value stock at all um and the the reason being is because in order to ramp that business up this the the the, the, the government business they have to buy devices to deliver to a low-income household before they get the money from the government. So there's this kind of the del- the cash flow doesn't match the earnings per share. There's just whole just whole delay kind of getting the money in. But you start doing the math and you start really playing it out. If they can get the funding, um, you see how this can scale really nicely. And I think that about 20 million revenue in the company right now. They were maybe uh, when I first found them maybe um, nine nine million, went nine million, thirteen million, twenty million. But they've really been profitable. And then the growth kind of stalled lately because they don't want to dilute the company by issuing shares. So they're not doing any diluted capital. They just kind of like stop and grow really slowly. Um, But there's some info ARB, you know, in some of these, their their filings, their ks and 10Qs and 10Ks, where you can see that if a certain, um, there's some uh, money coming their way pretty soon from selling up an asset. And they haven't really pr'd it. It's a sudden in the subsequent event filings of the ten the, the filings. And our estimation is that if that sale occurs, it's, it should probably occur maybe in January. Bring about five million in revenue, five million in um, um, uh, cash to the company, pay off some debt, and they'll be able, they'll be left with some growth capital. Uh, furthermore, uh, they announced a contract um, that got buried too. I think literally just ignored uh, with their with their last with their third quarter report where everyone's been talking now about the uh, I mean, including me for the last three years if you' if you're following this company about the outlook for the the government business and everyone's ignored the outlook for the hosted Now when I first got involved in this company I thought that was the one I wanted to be part of and, and, and it ends up not being the case. but now um by the way the the host the hosted, the, uh, the subsidy business is a great recession resistant great kind of um that a business going to do well in any economy even do better in a burst economy. Cause more people qualify for the program, but um, you know, it depends on this funding there's, and there's also situations where you got, the, the government's got to fund us. So you got that little mess too, that kind of uncertainty. So it's really important them to kind of build out the cloud telecom, host a telecom piece of the business. And they got a big, uh, a big contract um, where it's going to enable them to kind of um, potentially target 3 million customers through this contract for that host telecom business now the reason the stock hasn't probably reacted really favorably to that is because you know the company hasn't really put out any kind of details on the revenue, uh, how it's going to all work, and we can only guess now. But they're probably going to get a piece. I would assume, on, and this is month. This will be monthly recurring revenue, I assume, because it's, it would be a, a telecom services for this entity that's using them to for their for their client base. So this is tel- a telecom company, they're a Latin American telecom company. And they have three million users and they're using CONTELP or something. We don't really know what yet. <laughs> but it's three million, it's three million users potentially. And you know, is it gonna be a dollar a user or two? Who knows what it's gonna be? And that's 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 kind of the obscurity that keeps you in this. Like, do you trust management? It's gonna do this right? And do you know? because you have imperfect information on it, but he's sold two companies in the past, he owns you know 70 million shares of the company, he's all in on the company. My assumption is it's not going to do something to screw the company and screw shareholders. So, there's I think once these things are catalyzing this, eventually, you, if you do you if you want to, if you believe in DCFs and doing them, which I don't do a lot of that, but if you do it, you start this turns into a GARP stock at the current price if they execute on some of these things. And, you know, I can see this thing being a, a significant multi bagger um, if they push through with some of these things. Um, so that 's kind it's of- interesting
1: Maj, because I, I think you 've been in the stock for for like uh, like a number of years right which which goes to show you what we were talking about in the beginning right sometimes it takes i mean what you worked on maybe in twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen may pay off in twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five right that's that's mm-hmm. that 's the other challenge of microcaps. right sometimes you have this very long gestation period
2: before things
1: really start to the hockey stick
2: well, uh, see, in, in the- my time I was way off because I, I i modeled you know the freaking model I used. <laughs> <laughs> right told me that this is all going to catalyze two years ago. you know and I didn't re- I didn't understand n- how important the funding was a part of the equation, right and, and they got a little bit of funding right. and it didn't and it didn't work out to how they they didn't catalyze it the way I thought they would. So yeah, and you end up sometimes you, by mistake, you end up doing that. So I found out I was too early. and, and
1: that's <laughs> and that's part of the challenge of microcap investing right because like a lot of times when you're early, you find out you were really early and then the question is like do you hang on? Do you do do actually add as you start mm-hmm. seeing some of these things play out? Right. Uh or do you like or do you like bail? And nothing is worse than like being in a stock for like six years and then selling out like six months before the you know for the company and the stock finally take off. And I think we've all experienced that. Mm-hmm. Uh but sometimes you also have to bail, right? Sometimes do, things yeah. don't yeah. work out. And, and that's 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 for another podcast, Bobby. I guess we can go <laughs> down that, that road.
2: 100. Well Paul talked about that too, because he was talking about like how these stocks that he found, you know, we 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 were both in the same boat. We have that that these these new quality companies doing really well. Unfortunately, we still had some of the old school stocks that we hung on to, and part of the process, probably, Paul's like, I don't want to sell them. because the they're going, they're going yeah. to come back, and every day you play that they're going to come back, going to come back, and you're missing all this other opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Now, how do you balance that? It's really really tough as an investor, man. Like logically,
1: we got now we got three podcasts. I think was third (laughs) podcast.
0: (laughs) I had that. I got you know wanted to do a whole episode about the high gross margin for low gross margin, but higher revenue. Like that. (laughs) Like there's there's there was like at least five separate episodes that I think we could probably cover just that you guys inspired me for today. But uh, I think I think we're there. We've covered quite a bit. I think everybody, you guys gave your 2023 wrap, gave a little bit about what you're excited about for 2024. And um, man, I loved every minute of it. I got to say, especially the part where I didn't have to talk for like a good 25 minutes. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, so, you know, with that, you know, where can our audience go and find more information on you? Subscribe to your newsletters. So Paul, start with you.
3: Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Paul Andriola uh, and uh, on our website at smallcapdiscoveries.com. Uh, yeah, it'd be great if anybody wants to reach out, uh, reach out and uh, always willing to talk uh, microcap
0: stocks. Very cool. Jason?
1: You could find me at, at 8track180 on, on Twitter. You could find me at uh, Microcap Club, and, and I'll echo what Paul said and always open for a conversation about uh, about microcap names.
0: Very cool. And Maj, the savior. Happy, hol- happy
1: holidays to, to all your all your listeners.
0: Thank you, man. And then Maj, the savior of U.S. microcaps. I uh, would. <laughs> <laughs> I'll follow- save myself <laughs> first. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at uh, Maj, uh, at Maj GeoInvesting on Twitter is my personal handle. And uh, at GeoInvesting is um, the, the company handle. You can find me at uh, geoinvesting.com is, is our website. And um, you can email me there, Maj at GeoInvesting.com. Um, and learn more about that and talk stocks. I am also launching a couple of new products soon, so stay tuned. Um, And I'll have some updates on that in the next few weeks or so.
0: Very cool. And quick disclosures that I forgot to mention. Uh, Jason, you mentioned a few names. Evolution, Gaming, Technion, Constellation Software, shareholder in any of those?
1: I am a shareholder in Evolution and in uh, Constellation.
0: Very cool. And then, Paul, you also mentioned uh, Boyd Group and ADF Group. Are you a shareholder in either of those?
3: No, neither of those two.
0: Very cool. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. Happy holidays to you guys and everyone listening out there. If you made it this far, truly thank you for your support and everything. <laughs> I look forward to, uh, you know, uh, ho- providing more quality stuff in 2024. And again, thank you for your listenership, not just in 2023, but, uh, you know, for the entire existence of Planet MicroCap. So thank you all again. Hopefully see you in Vegas, you know, we'll, uh, and then we'll go from there. So thank you all. Really appreciate it. Happy holidays, Bobby. Thank you. Thank you. you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.